Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, back again with another one of our weekly podcasts released on a Thursday. Hope you are well. Hopefully there is some sunshine in your life because where I've been, we've had about three days of it in the last 10 days, and it's felt magnificent. But hopefully you are well, whatever it is you're doing and wherever it is you are. Now, today's podcast is going to be an interesting one and it's quite a full house and I quite like that. I might do more of these. We've got quite a few people from the Empowering People group who are going to talk to me about a campaign that they are running. It's around compassionate redundancies and today's podcast theme is around are compassionate redundancies possible? But before I introduce our wonderful guests, I have to introduce my partner in crime, which is Mr. Chris Horton. How are you doing, sir? Good morning, Chris Howard. I'm actually enjoying the sunshine as well. So a couple of days of sunshine has definitely lifted my mood a lot. Yes, we've got our smiling faces on because the Mr. Sun is out. But that's uh, good to hear. Good to hear. Shall we introduce our guests? Go ahead. Let's go for it. So I'm going to start with Yvonne Wilcock, who is the CEO of the Empowering People Group. Yvonne, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Chris. Lovely to have Chris and Chris here. I'll, ha- I'll have to refer to you as Chris number one and Chris number two, I think. And you yeah. decide between yourselves who's number one and who's number two. I-, I couldn't possibly say. Delighted to be here. Thanks very much, Chris. Yeah, lovely to have you on, Yvonne. I'm going to get you just to talk just for a minute about the Empowering People Group, if that's all right, before we intro our other guests and companies they work for. Yeah, delighted to do that. Empowering People Group is a group of companies that have come together. We started uh, a few years back with Advisor Plus, which is an employer relations service uh, provider that I'm also CEO of. And we've been joined over the last couple of years by Halborns, who are an employment law firm, by Working Transitions, who do outplacement and coaching, and also more recently by an organisation named Learning Nexus, who provide digital learning and training, particularly around compliance and health and safety. So we're a a broad church, but basically with people and making sure that people are equipped to do the right things on a day-to-day basis at the heart of everything that we do and supported hugely from a technology perspective. So kind of my, my belief is if you can put technology in, in the service of allowing people to then stand back and be themselves and to do the things that only people can do, then that's got to be a benefit. So that's the whole ethos of what we're trying to achieve. That's great stuff. Right, let's get to our next guests. I'm going to go with Caroline Moore. Caroline, how are you doing? You're at uh, you're the Managing Director of Working Transitions. I am, yes. Nice to meet you, Chris and Chris. Yes, I've been working for Working Transitions now for about five years and I took on the MD role just over 12 months ago. And our business, really, we support when we're talking about compassionate redundancies. One of our service streams is outplacement, which is working with people who find themselves impacted by redundancy and supporting them into their next role. So that's one of our services that we deliver. So it's an interesting subject for me, this is. Yeah, certainly is. And just to complete the set, we've got Rena Christou, who's the uh, director and an employment lawyer at Halborns. How are you doing, Rena? 
Oh, very well, thank you. Um, thanks for having me today. And as you say, I am an employment lawyer, which can often be a conversation killer, but we're pretty passionate about breaking the mould and really focus on straight talking. So you won't hear any legal jargon coming from me today and all about solutions focused as well. So kind of where you want to get to and with the hot topic today of, if possible, which will cover off compassionate redundancies. So yeah, so looking forward to it. Cool. I'm going to jump in and not let Chris Horton get a word in edgeways because that's what I enjoy doing with the first question, which is a nice, easy opener. So I will start with you, Renner, if that's all right. Let's talk about you know, yeah. compassionate redundancies, like what is it and why is it important? And then maybe Caroline and then and Yvonne can put a little bit more colour on top of what Renner talks about. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when we talk about compassionate redundancies, it's all about recognising that whilst you're following a legal process, and I can talk a little bit more about that in a moment, it's about recognising that the people that are being taken through that process are people, they are humans, they have feelings, they have emotions. And quite honestly, there isn't a one size fits all in that respect. Different people will react to a different a situation differently, depending on their own personal circumstances, you know, where they are, how many people are being taken through the process alongside them. And I think in terms of understanding that we're talking about compassionate redundancies, it's all about recognising the impact to them personally and making sure that they, as they're being supported through that process, aren't experiencing something that creates animosity. Because if, it might be that you're able to save roles, which is fantastic as part of any redundancy process, but where you are creating levers, it's about making sure that you're creating some positive alumni there along the way, because they might be talented individuals that, you know, circumstances have meant that you've had to part ways and that you want to bring them back into the organization uh, at a future date so yeah so so I'd say that's kind of the the fundamental for me is recognizing that you're dealing with people and and therefore ensuring that you're dealing with them as fairly as you possibly can I don't want to cut anyone out of this so Caroline from your perspective I just want to sort of uh, open up on that question I think it's how you manage the actual process as well. When you think about people being made redundant or impacted by redundancy, you know, it's it's a massive change to their lives. A lot of people go to work and it is such a big part of their everyday life to suddenly find that being taken away from you with actual no control over that situation yourself. I mean, the job is going. How you actually deal with that and how your employer helps you through that process is critical to, to you moving moving on in a positive way, but also the perception of your employer. We all know that from a business point of view, we have values, we have ethics, we see them posted on the wall, we talk about them, we live and breathe them when we work there. But in some situations, when redundancy takes hold, for some reason, the whole kind of like ethics and values seems to disappear. And you see far too often organisations treating people in a way that is just completely at odds with, with how they are normally. And I think a lot of that is born out of fear. It's born out of actually not wanting to get the legal process wrong and it's forgetting that at the end of the day there is a person at the end of this process who is is very vulnerable you know even if it's just the loss of salary that you're thinking about that's a huge impact on people and moving forward not everybody walks away with a, a redundancy package so it's basically the planning planning for it and putting the human at the heart of it which is very easy to do and you don't have to compromise the legal process on doing that yeah, certainly. Just Yvonne, just finally, just to round us off then before I get Chris's, he, he, he's desperate to talk, so I'm going to need to give him a minute or two. So go on, Yvonne. 
I absolutely agree with what Caroline and Renner have said. For, for me, once you've made that decision to reduce the number of roles in your organisation, that that process of letting people go is difficult for everyone involved. And when I say everyone, it, of course, it's hugely difficult for those who are actually going to be leaving the business for all of the reasons that Renner and Caroline have stated. But also for those people who are staying behind um, and see the impact that it has on their colleagues who they've worked with for, for a lot of time. But also they start to think about what's the impact going to be on, on them as individuals, how's, how's work going to be with, with different people or less people in the organisation. And indeed also for the managers themselves who need to communicate this business decision and the impacts to everybody that they work with in their team. So, so for me, I absolutely echo compassionate redundancy is simply about focusing on the people throughout, treating everybody involved, especially those who, whose roles are being lost with empathy and with respect, and making sure that it's done in a way that people feel is compassionate. I'm sure everyone will remember the P&O Ferries fiasco just over a year ago. Mm. Not only did that cause, rightly so, huge reputational damage to that organisation, but the whole people ethos, it's, it's hard to believe that that was at the heart of this process when you consider that people received a video message informing them of the immediate end of their employment without any kind of consultation at all. If there is a positive to come out of that, the, the shock waves from that approach has rightly raised the debate about how redundancies can be managed to minimise that, that traumatic people impact and of course the legal risk and, and from my perspective the more we talk about this the more we, are, we will be able to get it right. It's not that difficult to do things in a far better way. We've just got to think about the people, provide genuine support and treat people with compassion, with dignity, with respect. Thanks, Yvonne. So, so going back to what you mentioned before, Caroline, you were saying, you know, it's key to put the human at the heart of the whole thing and really looking at to, to fight or to manage retention to really make sure that you're not damaging the organisation. There's a strong people first, you know, employee experience focus that all organisations are doing. Yeah. Um, what, what, what are the key things that you see that you really need to put in place to make sure as we're going through a compassionate redundancy that are super important to keep that people first, even when it's not, you know, to some people, it's, it's a quite a traumatic experience or, or something that's quite harsh. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's very traumatic. And I suppose it starts with careful planning and effective communication. You know, by planning effectively, you can put in place the right support to minimise that emotional toll that's going to be felt by the people, not only the people impacted, but by the people actually doing the process as well, because it has a far-reaching, you know, effect across a group of people. Like Yvonne said, people who are staying in the business, it may not actually be directly impacting them as in them losing the job but it's actually a direct impact on them losing a colleague you know they may have sat next to that person for years and suddenly that person is no longer there it, it, it is a, for many a bereavement process you know losing a job is exactly that so actually planning and, and being you know effective with the communication is key and obviously from my point of view when we see that outplacement is offered to people who are leaving an organization 
it's it does two things it really does pick up the the person who is affected and takes them forward in a very positive way but also those people staying behind they get a sense that that person's been looked after and that a positive activity has been put in place to support them so they feel less aggrieved by the whole process as well yeah do you know just as you were talking there one of the things that just sprung into my mind we have just launched a campaign around called redefining workforce productivity it's how do organizations make sure they are doing more with what they've got or with less and this topic i think has such a profound impact on productivity doesn't it and i'll bring you in on this Yvonne, as well just some thoughts from your perspective because if you've got people that are leaving the organization you need to do it in a way that is as it's, it's not a, it might it might it might be a very uncomfortable process but if you can do it in a way in which it's as minimizing that pain or the trauma that causes the knock-on effect for those people that remain in terms of them being productive can be quite high so can i just get some thoughts from from your perspective that angle of it which is those that are left behind almost and how their productivity can be impacted by you know how well you run this process yeah definitely chris you've definitely hit on a real strong theme there and i think as we've already talked about you know the redundancy process is complex it from the perspective that that it's a legal process so you have to make sure that you're working through that in a way that means it's going to be fair and that it meets the legalities but it's also complex from the group different groups of people that are involved as well in terms of of, of people being left behind you, we all know that we've, we've got as, as human beings we we have a sense of what we perceive to be fair, what we perceive to be the right way to go about doing things. And understanding that, particularly from the culture of your organisation, and and as Caroline mentioned right up front about what you talk about on on a day-in, day-out basis, about how you do things around here, how you treat people around here, making sure that that the process that you adopt enables those, those values, those ways of working to still be congruent through a redundancy process is really important. One of the things I I, I always say is from from the moment that you make that decision in your business to reduce the volume of roles that you've got, and you know that that's going to mean that there's going to be people leaving your business, from that moment, put yourself in the shoes of each of those groups of people that are going to be impacted. So the person who's leaving the business, the people who are staying behind, and also the managers who are having to communicate that message. Put yourselves in in, in those shoes individually and say, okay, once we've been through this process, how do I want each of these groups, what do I want them to think about the experience that they've been through and the way the organisation's handled it? How do I want them to feel about what's happened, about what it means for them and about how they can move forward in quickly? Because this is a huge change and we all know about the change curve. The sooner that you can get people through that, you can get back to that productivity perspective that you're talking about, Chris. And then finally, that definitely leads on to and therefore, what do you want people to do? What do you want people to do with all of this new knowledge, everything that they've been through? And some of that is about giving them an outlet to share what they're thinking about, how they're feeling and what they think they want to do. And that's really important for the people who are staying within the organisation, as it is for everybody else. Rena, we've heard, you know, some of the nightmare stories where where people get, you know, advised by text or they don't get told and then they found out on social media or other horrific examples. 
looking at it legally, what 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 ideally, what are, what are the things that ideally you would suggest that people do and make sure that that so so that it is feeding into the whole idea of compassionate redundancy, but approaching this in a very structured legal way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to be honest, there's a real kind of misconception that the law can be really cold. And okay, you know, we often hear about businesses that don't want to do the right thing talking about, well, this employee has got short service, they're not entitled to anything, they don't have the right to bring an unfair dismissal claim, and let's fast track. You know, we've touched on some of kind of the negative press that's come from that. But actually, the law is structured in such a way to support compassionate redundancies. So, you know, it's all about taking time, it's all about going into it with an open mind. And from the employee perspective that's on the receiving end that's all they want they want to be treated fairly they don't want to feel that they're being forced through a process the point is genuinely can we come up with ways to save jobs and if we can't how can we minimize the impacts of this that is exactly what the law is designed to do so actually if you take the time to properly plan to give people the airtime to discuss proposals that they have, to genuinely meaningfully think about those proposals and to respond to them. Actually, from an employee perspective, so from, from that colleague perspective, you feel like, well, I've been heard. You've genuinely tried to come up with a way to make this work. And, I, and I'm going to be more accepting of the fact that we've not been able to do that successfully, if that's the case. That's where we tend to see people falling foul of tribunal claims, because the way that the law is designed you know, here in the UK is it doesn't cost you anything to lodge a claim, right? You don't need to be legally represented. It doesn't cost you anything. So actually, if I've been on the receiving end of a process that doesn't feel fair, whether I'm right or wrong in that, because the company might have done the right thing, I'm going to feel potentially inclined to bring a claim because I'm perceiving that surely that can't be right. It can't be right that I've been made to feel this way. Whereas if you're if you're displaying all the things that we've just mentioned, you know, the open mind, the, the the space to talk, the time to talk, and you're making somebody feel like they've been taken through a journey as opposed to just we're forcing you to the end result. The reality is that you shouldn't then be on the receiving end of those claims, which again is, is obviously a positive thing. Great. Thank you, Rena. Yvonne, a follow-up question. So obviously, if we're doing all of these great things with the people who are being made redundant, so we're, we're doing things in a compassionate way, we're giving them a voice, we're talking through, we're communicating well with them. I've seen when that's happened at organisations, but then no one's done anything with the people who, you know, who remain, the, the, the people who are colleagues and friends of these people who've been made redundant. I'm interested to hear suggestions around what kind of things should you be doing with those people who are still going to be there and you want to be productive and working well and enjoying their daily lives at the company. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. And, and as Caroline mentioned before, for some people, it, it will feel a little bit like a bereavement if you've, you've been sat day in day out for the last goodness knows how many years next to somebody who's no longer there. So the the whole point for me is, is as I mentioned before, giving people an outlet, acknowledging that whilst they're not directly themselves losing their job, there is likely to be an impact on everybody in the organisation, whether they know somebody really closely who's leaving, or even if they don't know anybody, there will still be the questions that they would have around, so what does this mean if we've still got the same volume of work, but we've got different people? Does that mean we have to change things? Do we have to structure things? Am I going to have to pick stuff up that I've not done before? Is things going to change? So definitely one of the things for me is making sure that there is real clarity in your communication that says it's okay to have these questions, it's okay to want to understand more, and genuinely making sure those channels of communication are open so that people can do that. 
That's a really important part. The flip side of that is some people might want to internalize this for a while to take some time to reflect. So again, you know, doing that on the day and then not having any kind of follow up after that isn't going to work for some people. Some people take some time to really start to understand how they're how they're feeling, what they think about this. So making sure that there's opportunity moving forwards more than just the one as part of the process and knowing that people have got support it, 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 there can be a huge mental well-being impact of this mm. some of which can be evidenced in the moment at the time of announcement at the time these things are happening but others that actually takes a while to come through recognizing that that can be the impact making sure that you've got the right kind of support from a health and well-being perspective that people know where they can go to access that health and support if you've got mental health first aid for example in your organization they are a great group of people to be briefed ahead of time to support people moving forward and actually raising awareness from a mental health perspective across your whole organization not just in in this but but in general if you can spot the signs of distress in other people at an early stage and really provide support and wrap your arms around giving giving those individuals an outlet in a way that works for them that's going to be helpful at any time in in the business life cycle but very very much so in this kind of a situation yeah it's it's that as you as caroline said before it's the communication it's transparency if you're able to tell your workforce the reason we are doing this is not because we are horrible people. These are business-based decisions. And so it's, that's, the, that's really key, isn't it? I wanted to, I'll probably go to Caroline on this one. I wanted to just get actually everyone's opinion there, but I'll start with Caroline because I was just thinking about, we've heard in the press around all of the layoffs that are happening in the tech sector, for example. And I wonder just, can I get some thoughts from you guys on the issues from an industry perspective and I was thinking particularly when you get so there are some industries like where you get heavily unionized industries where any kind of redundancies the press the media will just jump on it does it make it much more difficult for organizations to deliver through an effective process if they have those pressures those press pressures or even pressures from other the fact that everyone else in others in, in my sector seems to be doing it are there patterns that emerge from an industry perspective Karen I think when you've got a heavily unionized industry there is obviously more focus on the process and then it becomes more mechanical rather than actually people centered and I think that for me is where one of the things that gets missed is it's not the what but the how and the how is so important and one of the things that we we haven't touched on is is how the managers that are delivering the redundancy process. In many cases, it'll be the first time they've actually ever taken somebody through this process. But because they're managers, they're expected to know how to do it. And that isn't the case at all. So implementing yeah. and preparing for that is vital because the, the, the what we're going to do is definitely underlined by a process. Ren has you know, highlighted that from a legal perspective, what needs to be done. But bringing that policy to life and adding emotional intelligence into it is critical. And that comes from making sure that the managers actually understand how to emotionally deliver a redundancy process meeting, the consultation meetings and the language that they use. And that can be really 
really make or break for an organization and with some very small you know activities implemented to develop that management experience around delivering a redundancy process so whether you're you're coming from an, an industry that's highly regulated you know unionized or whether you're coming from an industry that tends to be kind of like all rock and roll let's say the advertising industry you know it doesn't matter Ultimately, you can follow the process, but it's how you deliver the language that you use that ultimately is going to ensure that that person either leaves with having a good experience and understands that it's it's negative but positive or negative all the way through. Lovely. Just, Renault, just from your perspective, anything to add on to that? Yeah, I mean, Caroline made some great points there. And, and I think just to kind of echo some of that is and, and what we've talked about already, for me where you have got that involvement of those external parties, whether it's the press, whether it's unions, the key is coming back to preparation, transparency and communication. So if I just kind of break those down briefly, so transparency for me is all about, right, let's let's tell everybody what we're doing. Quite often we see businesses talking to pockets of the population, so those that are directly impacted that are being taken through the process. But as we've talked about already today, actually there's a bigger piece here. It's making sure that the people that are left behind are engaged, are cared for, aren't worrying about their jobs. So there's that piece of it. There's the communication and transparency with the managers that are going to be progressing the process, so having those communications. And for me, I always think, again, if you're planning properly for these processes and to ensure that you can deliver them compassionately, give yourself time to train those managers. So actually run training sessions around, well, what does this process even look like from start to finish? So rather than me telling you piecemeal as we're going through the process, well, you know, you can handhold those managers and you can support them and you can coach them through those processes. But actually, let's give them an overview of what what a good process should look like from the get go, because the reality is they need to be prepped for how to address those, how to answer those and how to do that in the right way and fairly and, and compassionately. So again, it's thinking about giving them agenda scripts, giving them FAQs, just really planning for those that communication piece to make sure that, again, everyone that is asking questions is receiving the same response, regardless of which manager they happen to pick up the phone to. And I think that's a really big part of it as well. Thanks, Rena. I have a final question, and then Mr. Howard, I'm sure, will wrap up. Avon, to, to, to you to start off with, and then I'll, I'll quickly go around to everyone else as well. I've experienced when it's been a, a one-off, quick you know, so a planned event, but it's a one time and and, it, and it's all finished for that that process. And then, then on the opposite extreme, I've experienced where it's been, you know, eight rounds over a two year period. I'm interested in, in, in your view, and then we'll, we'll jump to the others. From a planning, from a strategy perspective, is ripping the bandaid off and, and being compassionate at once better than bleeding to death by a million cuts? Yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky one, Chris, but I take the view that organizations, I choose to believe that most organizations don't take this decision lightly. And therefore, I believe that at the point they make the decision, there's a a strong rationale. And Chris, you mentioned before about is it different for different industries and more of a spotlight. For me, the one thing that has to be absolutely solid is that case for change. So what is it specifically? So even if I'm I'm in a tech sector and 10 of my competitors have let people go in the last month, I can't go in and say, well, everyone's doing this, so we are too. That's not a case for change. So being really clear about why this is super important for the organisation is important. And on that basis, Chris, I would expect the leaders of that organisation to be looking as far forward as they possibly can, because the reality is at a high level principle from a 
I have a principal perspective, doing something once and then being able to move on to better things in a shape that you know is sustainable for the business has got to be the best decision that you can make. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world where everything else stands still while you do that. Other things happen. There are other external factors that mean that the best intent that you had when you went through that process, the world has changed again. And and unfortunately, we have to react again. So I think everybody would agree that doing it once and getting on is probably the best way. We're not always able to do that because we don't control everything externally to us. The one thing we haven't talked about to any particular degree is, is, is how can we make sure that we leave the people doing the things that are most important? So all of the stuff that we've talked about, about supporting people. And one enabler is, is definitely technology. There are technologies out there that can really help and support to take the process concerns and that fear factor of getting things wrong from a process perspective away. Advisor Plus itself has got something called Meeting Manager, which is some technology we developed over working with organizations for over 20 years going through redundancy we can see the pain points we can see that the process does get in the way of the manager having a conversation with the person they've worked with for donkey's years because they're frightened of doing it in the wrong way if you can automate that if you can feed them all of the information in structured ways templates everything that they could possibly need so they don't have to think about what's the process they can just focus on what's the conversation and how's it impact the person in front of me, you're definitely going to have a better outcome. So trying to find technology to support with that huge, heavy administration burden, because there is one in redundancy, we've got to get it right. So it's important, but take as much of that away from the person and the people in the room as you possibly can. And, and that means you're likely to have better outcomes, whether you do that once or whether you unfortunately have to do it several times. That's uh, fantastic and a really, really good way of on for us to wrap up today's podcast. It's been really great talking to four of you guys, actually, including Mr. Horton. I do enjoy talking to you as well, mate, but our guests are more important, if you don't mind me saying. Yvonne, great to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Chris. Caroline, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Chris. (laughs) And to complete the set, Rena, lovely to have you on. I feel like I should say it the same way, but I'm just going to say yeah. thanks so much to both. <laughs> great, <laughs> great tradition. Uh, lovely to have you guys on. Of course, you can get this podcast or any of our podcasts either via our website or any of the platforms that you usually listen to your podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed talking about it. It's been a fascinating topic. If you've got any questions, then please feel free to either drop any of us a line and we'll certainly be able to plug you into the guys at Advisor Plus as well. Other than that, there's nothing for me left more for me left to say rather than thank you very much as always for joining us and we will see you next time on the HR on the Effective Podcast. Bye-bye.